time with you, says the Lord. Don't you know that it's more than just what you believe, but I'm desiring a relationship with you. I hear the Holy Spirit saying that He's desiring an intimate relationship with all of us today, that He wants us our relationship with God to be more than just what we know in our mind. But I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying He wants to know you intimately like a friend and like a brother. I hear the Lord saying that He's going to change you in the days ahead. For you used to just come to God when you were in trouble. You used to just come to God when things were not going well and and like you'd put Him back on the shelf when you got done. But I hear the Lord saying that He's going to become your best friend. I hear the Lord saying that He's going to pursue you. And I hear the Lord saying this morning that no matter, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. I began to love you before you started cleaning your act up. And I'm going to accept you where you are. And I'm going to chase you down, says the Lord. And I just hear the Lord saying that He's so glad that you're here this morning to worship Him. To spend time with Him with the corporate body. I hear the Lord saying that there were those that the enemy tried to keep away this morning. There were those that the Satan tried to condemn because of the way that your week's been. But I hear the Lord saying that His grace is stronger than your sin. I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying that He's got good things intended for you. That as you continue walking with God, as you continue turning your heart to Him, even in the midst of your failures, I'm going to change you from the inside out and you're going to become all I've created you to be, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, give Him a good hand today. Lord, we just bless you for that today. We just love you as our Father. We love you. Come on, reach out to Him. Lord, we love you today. Praise the Lord. Let's give Him a good hand this morning. We bless you, Lord. Well, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him he, he loves you more than you can imagine. And you may be seated. Well, we are making our way this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope you brought your Bible today. But not only do I hope you brought your Bible today, I hope you read your Bible every day. How many in the room believe that's a, that's a great idea to read your Bible every day? Yeah, sure. Hey, by the way, our Connect class is being dismissed. One of our elders teaches it. It's designed for new people. If you're not involved, you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, get connected. It's uh, every Sunday morning right now, and it's in the Connect Cafe. So you may be dismissed for that. But anyway, God, uh, one of the best things you can do is to grow in your spiritual life is have a daily time of Bible reading. And we want to help you. We've got a Bible guide for you. It was in your bulletin. If you got the bulletin, make sure you take it and put it in your Bible. The back side has got something from March and April where you can read an Old Testament passage and New Testament each day, each day. And if you ever get behind, just get caught up. If you want to get some more of these for your spouse or some family or friends, you can pick them up after service. The ushers will be at the back door. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. I have a very unusual sermon this morning. It's a little different this morning um, because it's a paradox. It is one of the most unusual verses in the Bible. It appears on the surface a contradiction. It is very difficult for me to get my hands around it. I'm going to do my best to help you today because it is a great spiritual truth. And I would argue that it it is the spiritual truth that will help catapult you into God's best for your life. It's like a booster rocket when the space shuttle goes in, in, in the atmosphere. They've got some rockets that get it so far, but how many know you need an extra oomph? Well, this is that booster rocket, and uh, I want you to think about this just a moment and, and, and be puzzled for just a minute. But if you can be patient with me this morning and stay with me, let me do my best to explain this truth to you this morning. Second Corinthians 12.10. Now, in the New King James, the last phrase says this, When I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
Now think about that. Now I want you to go ahead and get a puzzle look because the first service they kind of stared at me all morning like, what are you talking about? I'm going to explain it. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And doesn't that seem just opposite to you? It seems like a massive contradiction. It's a paradox. Let me read a broader context from the Message Bible. It's a fresh look at it. You know, when you read your Bible, I read from numbers of different translations because sometimes the words get in my mind, but not the meaning. And sometimes a different translation has an ability to pierce past my, you know, my preconceptions. Listen to the Message Bible of this verse. I take limitations in stride. Now, limitations is the word we're looking at this morning. It's that it's the weakness. I take limitations in stride and with good cheer because these limitations cut me down to size. Abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. Now listen to what he says. I just let Christ take over. And when I let Christ take over, the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Now think about that. When I let Christ take over, the weaker I get, the stronger I become. See, so what Paul is saying in this verse is limitations come in my life sometimes. And when limitation comes, it's re I do everything I can to get rid of them. How many, how many know that? You know, listen, you don't like hair loss? Try Rogaine. Try a men's hair club. Try Do something to fight that limitation. I mean, we all do it. How many pray more when your checkbook is empty rather than full? Let me see your hand. Your bank account. When your bank account's full, you still pray, but it doesn't have the same intensity as when your bank account is a little low. And everybody said? Now, we want to do everything we can to get away from that limitation, right? And if the bank account's low, you know, you'll work more hours. You'll do more to sell. You might open another business. Uh, you know, you save money. You know, whatever you do when money's low, you want to get past the limitation. You want to get back in your comfort zone. Well, I want to suggest to you that it's when the pressure's there, when the limitation is there, it's an opportunity for you to connect with something bigger in God than you can ever do on your own. That's the exact response I got from the first service. So I, I, I think I'm on track. The weaker I get, the stronger I become. Now, that's how, if a weightlifter said, well, the less I lift, the stronger I am, you'd say he's crazy, right? It's not true. That's not what it's saying. Paul, what Paul is saying is a contradiction unless weakness somehow qualifies us for spiritual power. But weakness qualifies you for spiritual power just like a financial need qualifies you for financial aid. See, if you've got kids in college, you know you've got to fill out a form called a FAFSA. And the purpose is so the government can determine if you have financial need. And if you have financial need, you'll get financial aid. Well, in the same way, that's what weakness or limitation is in your life. When you have a boundary in your life, the natural tendency is to do everything in your power to get through it. But the problem is sometimes human power alone is not enough. You need God to catapult you where you can never take yourself. And that's the truth that I want to illustrate through one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. It's called the story of Gideon. Now, in Gideon, we're going to go to Judges chapter 6, uh, but it's an incredible story about one man God using to turn around a nation. And this one man, Gideon, has... I, I believe there's parallels in this passage between Israel of old and America today. Now, listen in the story. Gideon has an army. He's called by God to deliver his people because they're in a mess. He's called to set them free. He's got 32,000 members in his army. Now, how many know when you're fighting a battle, the more the merrier, Right? But God does an incredibly 
Interesting thing. If God were a military strategist, we would say he's stupid. Now, I'm careful how I say that. But God says, I can do more with 300 people than you could do with 32,000. I can do more with three people than you could do with 132,000. And this is the paradox about it all. God will use limitations in your life to supernaturally bring you to a higher place if you press into Him and draw on His strength. Otherwise, the limitation will keep you in poverty or keep you in sickness or whatever. Now, all limitation is not good. All weakness is not good. Sometimes the devil just wants to keep you down. But somewhere in this mix, limitation comes in your life and it is the very thing that causes you to cry out to God and be more than you could ever do on your own. Now, in these parallels, the nation between the nation of Israel is in a mess, just like America. And they got in a mess because of their sin. And how many know the same things happen in America today? We're in a mess because of our sin. Well, guess what happened? They got so bad in Midian that they cried out to God because of their pain. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. Not all pain is bad. Remember the brother last week when he was preaching told us about the prodigal son? When you get away from God and you experience problems, that's not bad. When you're suffering, because that suffering calls you to cry out to God, and that turns things around. Well, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened, and God raised up a man. But he didn't, he didn't raise up a man that was strong and qualified and capable. He took a man that was hiding, that was from the weakest and the least of the tribes of Israel, the least likely to do something big in his life. God said, I'll pick you, because I can do more through a person that recognizes their limitation or weakness than I ever could through a strong person whose pride hinders me from doing something. Are you with me this morning? So we're talking about humility and pride. I, I asked my class, we have a Bible school in our church, it's called Launch, and I asked the class this week, I said, what does humility mean? No, no, yeah, what does humility mean? And one bright student said, it means to be humble. It's the same word. It's, it, it's like we can't get our arms around what this means. It, 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 what I'm talking about this morning is totally depending on God. Okay. Let's crawl into it and I'll try to make a little more sense out of it. Limitation can be your friend because it makes you realize your need for God. Let me say it again. Limitation can be your friend because it makes you realize your need for God. You don't believe me? Go to the cemetery and you will see scores of people who have faced the greatest limitation in their life and they could not get beyond it. See, I will suggest this morning that even aging and death, the limitation that's there, is a gift from God. Because it makes you aware that you cannot sustain your life without Him. So I want you to think about limitation in a new light this morning. Limitation is not something that I want to get away from. Limitation is not something that's bad and that's evil. It could be a door that makes me depend on God and draw near to God to do more with Him than I could ever do on my own. Does it make more sense to you? All right. The story of Gideon, Judges chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to kind of summarize 16 verses, so I'll kind of pick and choose the highlights. Judges 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil. In the Lord's sight. How many know that God has standards of right and wrong? In America today, those standards are blurred. We're told that no person has the right to impose immorality on another person. Well, I beg to differ. God has a right to tell us what's right, come on, and what's wrong. And that's what the Bible is, is it's God's standards of right and wrong. All people can do is choose to embrace it or reject it. 
But they did evil and they suffered consequences. The Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. You say, that's not a big deal. Really? The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places in the mountains, the caves, their strongholds. Imagine if you were driven for your house and had to live in the woods. Verse 3, whoever, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian would come and attack Israel. Every time you went to the grocery store and filled up your cart and put it in the refrigerator in your, in, in your pantry, somebody broke in your house and they took all your food away and all you had to lift, all, all you had left was the stuff that they didn't want. That's the picture. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. They took all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camel too numerous to count. It was, it was so many people coming against them, they couldn't even count them. It was impossible. And why did that happen? Because of their sin. Notice, they stayed until the land was stripped bare. In verse 6, Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. You say, what a terrible thing. No, that was a good thing. You're looking at me like a cow staring at a new gate. How can it be a bad thing if people are starving? I'll tell you how. Then, everybody say then. Then they cried out to the Lord for help. So it's like God had to strip them down. He had to humble their pride until they recognized their weakness. And then they cried out to God. Listen, God is not in the punishing business. God is in the loving business. And if you ever get in your mind that God is a bad God, remember the cross. For God so loved the world. You see, sometimes God gets, the, God gets the credit for evil that he's not behind. If you look in the Bible in Genesis, before the fall of man and sin entered the world, there was no pain, no problem, no mosquitoes, no fire ants, no death, come on, no rape, no murder. In the book of Revelation, at the end of the chapter, after there's a new heaven and new earth, no more pain, no more sickness, no more dying, no more crying. The former things are passed away. But between early Genesis and late Revelation, pain is in the earth and it's because of sin. And Christ came to deliver us from that. Now look, then they cried to the Lord for help. And if you were reading on, you'd see that God sent a prophet that explained the situation. But in verse 11, God's got a man, a hands-on man. His name is Gideon. And this future leader is threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now what does that mean? Normally when they thresh their grain in their day, they would have a large area. Let's say it's as big as the stage or larger, probably larger than this area. It was, it was dirt, it was very hard, and they would take the wheat they would cut from the field and they would bring it here and they would begin to crunch it. They would want to separate the wheat from the chaff. They would walk on it, animals would walk on it, and then on a windy day they would throw it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and they'd end up with the grain. That's the way you, 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 they did their grain. Well, guess what happened? Gideon is not doing it that way because if he did that, the Midianites would see it and come steal it all. So this future leader is hiding. He's hiding in a wine vat. It's like a barrel. If you can imagine your garbage can, he's hiding in there and he's throwing it up like that. And listen to what God says when he looks inside this barrel. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And that's the New Living Translation. Mighty hero or mighty man of valor. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. How many know you and God are a majority? But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Now notice what he sees. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the... 
least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you and God are a majority. I want you to think about this. The nation is in huge trouble. And God does not find the tallest, smartest, brightest, most educated, most experienced. God found a man that was hiding from the weakest and the least tribe of the nation of Israel. And God said, I'll pick you because you are aware of your limitation. And if you will simply choose to have faith and believe in me and do what I say, then I will do some extraordinary things. Most people, I guarantee you, if God said you're going to go fight an army so big you cannot count, would not get rid of 32,000 people. God told Gideon, listen, you're going to go fight this battle, but you've got too many. What? You have too many. No, I need more because I'm operating in logic. I'm operating in experience. I know what I've heard. I know what their weaponry is. I know what their experience is. We need more people, God, not less. God says, no, you don't. You need less because you and I are a majority. So he whittles it down from 32,000 to 300. And God says, now, I want you to go and take care of them. Now, that's the story of Gideon. And remember our text, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So somehow, when limitation does not limit me, it can free me. Because it can allow me to connect to a power that's greater than I. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a formula to tell you how to do that, but I'm just telling you from experience in life. See, all our life, we're trained, at least I was, to be kind of like John Wayne. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're just tough. You're strong. You do whatever you have to do. You know, you borrow money. You do all these things that you do to make it and get ahead in life. But somehow, if you're depending on yourself and not God, I think this epitomizes our federal government right now. Every problem we have, they want to throw worthless money at it. Come on. A trillion dollars, most of which is not spent yet, but a trillion dollars was supposed to solve the economic problems. Now we have another $15 billion jobs bill. Unemployment steadily going up. Fannie Mae wants uh, $15 billion more dollars for bad loans. So we, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Get the commandments out of schools. No prayer in schools. No acknowledgement of God. We can do it. I believe God's going to humble our nation. But how many know, listen, what God wants us to do is recognize our need for Him. Let me give you a couple quick lessons, but then I want to focus on limitation. The first lesson is sin brings judgment and pain. You can write it down, go to the bank with it. It brought pain in their life. Sin will bring pain in your life. You don't believe me? Just pursue the path. And you'll find out. Pain is good when it causes me to cry out with to God. Now, I don't mean the pain of surgery or you've got a, an impacted tooth. Or, listen, we live in a fallen world. But there is some pain that sin causes that is good. When the prodigal son has money, he does not call out to God. But when he is alone and hungry and starving and broke and nobody cares, what does he do? Punch your neighbor and say, pain can be good. Now, your psychology class taught you that all people avoid pain and pursue pleasure. But I want to suggest to you that's wrong. Sometimes you pursue your pain because your pain can lead you to God. Just a thought there. You can experience it the other way if you want to. Here's a third lesson. When we turn back to God, which means we repent, guess what? God will restore us. So I don't care how far you've gotten away from God. When you humble yourself, God will turn things around. I'm so proud of this guy on the second row. Clint, 
I didn't even think you would be alive years ago. Clint is a living testimony about what God can do if you just won't give up, if you just won't quit when the world tries to pull you back and take your life and destroy you. But you just keep getting up, even if it takes you a few days or weeks or months to get up. Come on. God can promote you and do something good with your life. See, God is a restoring God. He's not a beat you up God. Here's another lesson. God sees me beyond. God sees uh, God sees beyond my circumstances to my potential. Now, I'm hiding in a wine press and God looks at me and says, you're a hero. You feel like a zero, but God sees the potential hero that's in there. And here's another one. When God is with me, I can do anything. Punch your neighbor and tell him that when God is with you, you can do anything. Listen, because this is the guy that God's going to use to take 300 fellows and they're going to go out and who knows, it could have been 100,000 people and they beat them all. Now, all those are real simple. Those are pretty plain lessons. But I want to spend my last probably 10, 12, 15 minutes on this point. Limitation can be a door to spiritual power. Let me say it again. Limitation can be a door to spiritual power. Think of the checkbook. Limitation can be a door. Now, we don't like the door. If you have money and health, why do you need God? Now, you do, don't get me wrong. But don't most people, if they've got enough money or credit to buy whatever they want, whenever they want, do you see them at the altar? Come on. Do you hear them crying out to God? Of course you don't. They just bought a ski boat and they're on the lake. It was too cold. They have a snowmobile and they flew to Colorado this weekend. Are you with me? Well, the airports were... They got their own jet. I mean, you understand? If you have the money and health... Why do you need God? You think you can even circumvent death. You just buy everything organic and you buy everything the health food officers to fix and heal everything and you act like you're going to live forever. All the while, listen, all the while God is bringing limitation in your life and you think you can skirt around it. Limitation can be your friend. Now let's go back at our, in Judges 6 verse 15. Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Good question. The problem is he can't. And our problem is for us to go to the level of need that America has, we can't do it either. You say, well, what if we had a better projector or a bigger building or a better Sunday? None of that stuff. All Jonah had was eight words when he went to Nineveh. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he said. God's going to judge this city. And 200,000 people turned to Christ. Why was that? Because strength came through weakness. Because anointing, because power came where there was human limitation. My clan is the weakest. I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said, I'm going to be with you. Now, let me say this. If you see yourself as the strongest and best, you will never do everything God's intended for you. Let me say it again. If you see yourself as the strongest and best, that's pride. You know, you, you know, when you look in the mirror and, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Or you look on the scorecard. Or you look at the bank balance. Or you compare your car with everything else in the parking lot. If you see yourself that way and it's because of you, you are capped, my friend. And you may still come to church. You still may give. You may give more than anyone else in the church. But you have a cap on your life. 
because you don't have the potential of that second rocket that launches the shuttle into outer space because it's all about you. See, God is not limited by my limitations. My limitations can become a door to God's power. 2 Corinthians 12.10, our text, when I'm weak... See, now, if I was going to find, if I was God, and I was going to find someone to lead the nation out of their troubles, I'd have got on my computer, and I'd have done a Google search, and I'd have found, give me the biggest, tallest, strongest, most experienced guy that's smart, that has experience, that has self-confidence running over just from everywhere, and knows how to recruit a crowd. Give me that guy. That is not who God picked. When God got ready to turn things around that King Saul had messed him up, God found the new king... A little boy, the last in the family, tending sheep on the backside of the desert. God said, I'll pick him. Why is that? It's something in the heart of man that believes God. Come on. See, I depend on God more than I depend on myself. God is trying to produce in us dependence. We're trying to go after independence. See, we want certainty. Give me a savings. Give me a guaranteed retirement. Give me a guaranteed health plan. Give me a guaranteed path to education. Give me a guaranteed job. And we're after what we think is certainty. But God does better when we're uncertain because we depend on Him. Come on. Rather than ourselves. And this is... I can't put my finger on this, but this circulates through my life. I, I bet it does for yours as well. See, God's choice was hiding. Limitation, if you embrace it, makes you depend on God and not on yourself. I've been in this church a long time, a number of years. I feel today less capable to pastor this church than I did when I got here. I was in my 30s and felt more capable than I do today in my 50s. You say, have you just wasted 20 years of your life? No, I've just come to realize that the problems of God's people, the financial needs of God's house, come on, the spiritual battles we're in, I cannot solve them without Him. And I used to think I could do it. You're not like that, are you? And there's a process God wants to take us on to where we become emptied of human strength and dependence and dependent on God. And the limitations that we used to fight, we embrace because we know those limitations can be a door to God. Now, I know this is a little, you know, your mind may be spinning around because, listen, sometimes the devil's out there to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's, God's not behind that. Come on, I mean, you know that. That's resisted. That's fought. That's stood against. But even if the devil is behind it, God can use the limitation to make me depend on him to get to the other side. All right. I got an amen about six of you. That's pretty good. Paul the apostle understood this. Remember in Philippians when he said, I can do. Stop. Did he say, I can do all things? No, he didn't. He said, I can do all things through Christ. And if you would take that verse home with you, that's the gist of this whole message. The problem in America is America tries to make me think I can do all things. I got a minor in psychology. I had to unlearn most of what I learned many years ago because it's all about you and how good you are and how, and how the potential is in you. And, and look to, they even say now, look to the God that's within you. Well, the Bible says in me dwelleth no good thing. All my righteousness is as... So how are you going to find anything good in there? See, you got to make that transition 
from I can do all things to I can't do anything without Jesus. Because that's the reality of the situation. See, the Bible says, in Him, in Christ, I live, move. What does that mean? Everything I am, everything I can do, everything I have, everything I will be able to do is because of Him. See, and you can be the most powerful person in Texarkana. You can have the biggest car, live in the biggest house, and have the most money. But you still cannot do a thing without Him. He's just letting you do it. He's using, you're using borrowed brains on borrowed time, come on, to make borrowed money that you can't take with you when you die. And you think it's because you went to school at, you know, Arkansas Higher, Texas Higher, Pleasant Grove, or Liberty Isle, or And we think it's all because of us. Now, see, this doesn't take away our responsibility to educate ourselves, to work hard, to do all those things that is necessary for us to do. But what I'm telling you, you cannot deliver the Midianites just by working hard. You've got to have God empowering your weak vessel. Am I getting through this morning? Let me read you another scripture. And, and, and let me challenge your theology on this, too. Because how many know sometimes we believe some things about God that may not be true? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to read it again in the Message Bible, and I'll insert a couple other translations in there. Remember where we started? The weaker I get, the stronger I become. Let's go back up a few verses. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, because of the extravagance of these revelations... Now, what does that mean? Paul literally had an out-of-body experience or something where he literally went to the third heaven. In other words, the, the first heaven appears to be what you can see, the firmament. But there is something beyond that the Bible called the third heaven. And Paul was, w went to that realm and he heard Jesus. The scripture I read you in communion this morning, Paul said, I got it by revelation. In other words, the Lord spoke this to me. So can you imagine a guy, literally, not some mystic, not some psychic, but somebody in reality and truth, went, had, went to heaven and saw the Lord. So he said, so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap. Now, now don't think about a handicapped person that's mute or someone that, you know, someone that, that's, you know, that doesn't have the ability to function. The, the King James said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. But the Message Bible said, I was given the gift of a handicap, which is mean I was given the gift of limitation. To keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Would you just look at that just a minute? I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Now, what does that mean? More than likely, this problem was an eye problem. There are several scriptures that I could give you. You know, Paul said he wrote large letters and a couple other scriptures that suggest that maybe he had an eye problem. Now, how many wear glasses or contacts? Let me see your hand. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't wear contacts because I was fortunate several years ago I had LASIK surgery. My eyes were so bad I couldn't even see the numbers on the alarm clock. That's pretty bad. That's why I was late all the time. I didn't know what time to get up. But I went and had LASIK surgery to remove the limitation. I went to the eye doctor the other day, your friend. I went in there and he said, your eyes hadn't changed any from last year. I said, great. But I still use some reading glasses when it's print small. And, and when I go turkey hunting, because I want to see far away, I use some distance glasses to remove the limitation. 
Now, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't get glasses. I'm saying everything that our world offers us, thank God. But listen, if you're in Paul's day and you can't see and you have already been beaten with rods, stoned, and people trying to kill you, how many know you want to see the enemies when he's coming so you can get away? And if you have a limitation, and Paul said, I prayed and begged God that God would take the limitation away. You get the picture? And this limitation didn't come from God. The Bible said it was Satan's angel did his best to keep me down. But what, in fact, he did was to push me to my knees. And can I tell you this? A limitation can push you to your knees like nothing else. You don't believe me? Get a, get a, get a physical problem that the doctor can't help. You don't believe me? Get a financial problem. Come on. That you cannot pay for, cannot borrow your way out of, and nobody else give you any money. It will bring you to your knees like nothing else. And Paul is saying that may not be a bad thing if it brings you to God. Please don't leave the sanctuary just yet. We're almost done. No danger then of walking around high and mighty, which means God is concerned about our pride. And pride is simply a trust in self. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. He probably rebuked it. Didn't want it, but he begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And God said, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Or the New Living Translation says, My power works best in weakness. Now, who wants to have that precious promise in your promise box? My power works best in weakness. I don't want weakness. I want strength. How about you? But God is saying, there's something powerful can happen in weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, and I began appreciating the gift. I'm not there. How about you? But there's something out there where you see God in the midst of it. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. But now I take limitations in stride with good cheer. Limitations that cut me down to size. The key is me. I want to get smaller so he can get bigger. Abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. So the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Boy, you wish you'd have gone to another church this morning. It's true, though, isn't it? If you want to deliver Midian, or Israel from the Midianites, you've got to lay hold of that. If you want to be happy to live in the wine press, no big deal. Now, all my notes will be on the Internet tomorrow. You can download it and look at it and read it if you like. Let me read you a story. We've got to learn to replace our strength with his. Remember the little kid story, the little engine that could? Remember that? Let, let me tell you a story, and I'm going to change it a little bit in a minute. The little engine that could is a children's story that used to teach children the value of optimism and hard work. How many would say optimism and hard work is a good thing? Optimism is confidence. It's positive attitude. Hard work is a good thing. Hard work is what birthed Listen, is what birthed the Industrial Revolution in America. I mean, because America's worked. It wasn't just because we were better than anybody else. Listen, people worked hard. A little railroad engine was employed by a station yard. Get the picture? Here's a little kid's story. Little engine, and they hire the little engine to just move around the car or two at a time. One morning, it was waiting for the next call when a long train of freight cars asked a large engine in the roundhouse to take it over the hill. Oh, I can't. This is too much of a pull for me said the great engine built for hard work. And then the train asked another engine, and the little switch engine drew it up the grade and down on the other side. 
I think I can. So here we go. The little engine is saying, I'm going to give it a try. So he starts pulling. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And he put himself in front of that heavy train. As it went on, the little engine kept bravely puffing faster and faster. I think I can. Come on. I think I can. I think I can. As it neared the top of the grade, which had so discouraged the larger engines, it went more slowly. But it kept on saying, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. It got to the top by drawing on bravery and then went down the grade congratulating itself by saying, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. And that's supposed to make kids be excited about work and confidence and belief. It's the same thing that the soccer coach tells you. You can beat that team. I believe in you. Right? Is that a bad thing? No. But you'll never tap into the strength of God as long as you're strong. As long as you are trusting in yourself, you'll never do what you could not do without God. I would suggest we add this to the Christian version of the story. When I think I can... I can't. When I realize I can't, he can. As long as I think I can, I probably can't. Now listen, you can still live in a big house and have a bunch of cars and have ski boats and bass boats and, you know, snowmobiles and airplanes and everything that your world can imagine, but that's just the best that you can do. And what I'm trying to get you beyond the best you can do to what God can do through you. Because America needs some Gideons. And it doesn't need a bunch of Gideons filled with self-confidence and self-esteem. America needs a bunch of Gideons, listen, that realize that apart from Christ, we're the weak and the least. But with Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Give the Lord a big hand this morning. Are you thoroughly confused? Halfway confused? A fourth of the way? The feedback is overwhelming. Look at the scriptures, though, and do more than just scratch your head. Because Paul said, the weaker I get, the stronger I become. You know, it's just kind of the way that God works. God had a plan to change the whole world. So he sent his leader to the earth and he got killed. But then he rose from the grave. And then this same leader wanted to hand the ball off to the team that was going to take it to the next level. And he didn't invite one of them that had gone to seminary. He didn't have one of them that had experience in the religious world. Not any of them had reputation to go by. He picked 12 guys. One of them betrayed him, but 11 guys produced the couple billion people on the planet today that are Christians. It's the way God works. He takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It was time for Israel to be delivered. They needed a king to replace Saul. And they didn't go looking for the smartest, the brightest, and the best, or the biggest. God went looking on the backside of the desert and found a little young shepherd boy. And he put a rock in his sling and he went to this giant and said, Listen, I'm not coming to you in my strength. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. Whew. Bang, dead, turn around. That's pretty good. Bang, dead, turn around. You can't do that in human strength. God wanted someone to give birth to the Savior of the world. He didn't go to Rome and find the family that had the greatest social grace and standing. He didn't go to Camelot to find the leader. Are you with me? He found a 16-year-old girl that had no social standing whatsoever and said, she'll do just fine. Because when we're weak, then we're strong. 
when we realize our limitations and the unlimited power of God, when he needed to deliver Israel from the Midianites, he didn't find somebody experienced in war. He found a scared guy hiding in a wine press who came from the weak and the least. And he said, you'll do just fine. I'll use you to change the nation. Somebody give the Lord a big hand today. I don't have a formula for you today how to get there. I've been working on it for 20 years. But I can tell you this. God wants you to depend completely on Him. And He wants you to submit to Him on the journey. And if you walk away with one thing from this message today, let it be this. I'm not going to look at limitations as an enemy. I'm going to look at limitations as a possible friend that might lead me to Christ. Whether it's the checkbook balance, whether it's a physical problem, whatever the case may be. Because it just may have me crying out to God for what I cannot do for myself. Could we just offer ourselves to the Lord? How many want to be a modern-day Gideon for America? I mean, how many want to be a Gideon in your, in your neighborhood, in America, in Texarkana, in your school? Well, Lord, we just offer ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you today, but we're not offering our strength, our degrees, our experience, our resources. We're offering you us. Because we know that you can do more with a willing vessel that was yielded to God, that depended on you and would not take your glory than you could with the finest leader on earth. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you, we so willingly submit to the process today that you might turn us into a modern-day Gideon. And, Lord, would you use us to make a difference in this world for Christ? In Jesus' name. Anybody say it? I want to pray one more prayer before we go. And it's simply this. I alluded to this earlier, but I want to go there again. And I want you to kind of grab hold of it. You know, in communion, I said that you held that cup and one day Jesus is going to come back to this earth. And there's going to be a lot of Christians alive. But at the same time, we don't know when that's going to be. And every one of us could have a, 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 an appointment with the greatest limitation you'll ever face. Listen, you go to any graveyard in Texarkana and it is filled with people who couldn't get beyond the limitation of death. Let me say it again. Congressman Murtha recently died for what was thought to be a not-too-difficult surgery. So I don't know what it was. Something, but it wasn't going to be a big deal, but they nicked something. And said, he died just like that. People are dying all the time under the best doctor's care in the world, the best nutritionist, the best homeopathic people, whoever it is, the, the people that are guarded best by bodyguards. See, bottom line is nobody can escape the ultimate thing of death. When you look in the mirror as you grow older and you realize that you are getting older, you're getting a bag under your eye, your hair is you know, flying south for the winter. God is trying to tell you, you cannot make yourself live eternally. Only I can do that. So even death itself, we fight it with everything in us because God didn't create you to die. He created you to live. But the problem is there's a reason for that. It's called sin. It came into the human race through Adam and Eve and it's been killing people ever since. That limitation has stopped us because the wages of sin is... But the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life only through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus made a remarkable statement. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father or goes to heaven but by me. He said, well, now that's narrow-minded in America today. Only Jesus fulfilled God's perfect standards. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was sinless. He gave his life for ours. He did what Muhammad didn't do. He did what Confucius didn't do. He provided God's way. But guess what? You've got to make a step to Christ. You have to personally receive Him as your Lord and Savior. 
It's not enough what Christ did 2,000 years ago. You've got to make it real for your life. It happened to me on August 15, 1976. So how do you know that? I was there. I know when I committed my life to Christ, not just going to church, but when I said, Jesus, I don't want to go my way anymore. I want to follow you. I want to follow you on this earth and into eternity. I want to live with you. I asked Christ to forgive me and I committed my way to follow him. And I want to tell you, friends, I've never regretted it. He changed my life. And if you're here today, you say, I need that change. That doesn't mean that you'll be a preacher like me, but it simply means you'll be a brand new person because Christ will give you a brand new identity. If you're here today and you're ready to make that step to Christ, I want to pray for you. It could be the first time you've ever done this or, you know, you may have gotten away from Christ. You know, you walked with God earlier in your life, but you got away. But today is the day you want back. And you want to make a step to Christ today. We want to pray for you. It would be our honor to pray with you as you make a step to Christ. If you're here today and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I want to get right with God. I don't want to leave this building the way I came. I want Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to make my stand for Him. If that's you, lift your hand real high this morning. Who here today? I want to make a step to Christ today. God bless you, buddy. God bless you. Who else? I want to make a step to Christ today. Give him a big hand. Anybody else today? I want to make a step to Christ. Start joining this church. We're trying to help you make a step towards Jesus. Anyone else this morning? All right, my time's up. Come on up, pal. Let somebody pray with you today. Come on up. You lifted your hand. Bring your friend with you. She's welcome to come. Come on, give him another big hand. Nobody wants to come up in front of people they don't know. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Anybody else needs to be here? You come on up. You come on up. Let me tell you why I wanted you to come forward today. Is because I know if you can't make a step to Jesus in a church where people will clap, they'll ne- you'll never do it tomorrow. How old are you? Twelve years old. Twelve years old. I know God is proud of you today. See, if you can't do it here, you won't do it tomorrow in school. But because you had the guts to stand for Jesus, he'll make a difference in your life. And we are very proud of you. I need a couple young people to come and stand with this young man. A couple young people. Come on up here. A couple young people. Stand up. These are going to be your buddies here. They're going to help you. We've got a great youth group in this church. Listen, they're going to pray for you. They're going to give you some things. They're going to tell you how our church can help you. What's your first name? Brady. Brady. Everybody say we're proud of you, Brady. Y'all go ahead and take it. Hey, it's a great day today. Pastor Joe will have the dismissal word. Let me give you a personal invitation as we go. If you want to get involved in our church, you want to get connected, you've been coming a while, and you want to get involved, make the next step, make this your church home, right after service, if you go in the Connect room, it's right across the hall, we've got staff in there, and they'll help you do that as well. I love you, and God bless you, and hope to see you Wednesday night. Good word today, Pastor John. Y'all give it up for our senior pastor, Pastor John Miller. The Bible says give honor where honor is due. He spends a lot of time in the sanctuary praying for you guys each week. But here's what the greatest way that you can repay him is you can go out into the world this week and make a difference. So let's all stand up. We're going to have a shout and go out. And I'm going to say this. Through God, what are you going to do this week? And with the rock fish, you're going to say, change the world. So through God, what are you going to do this week? Change the world. God bless you.